All right, still feeling uh, celebratory here. And well, Happy New Year. Welcome back to New Valley. Um, it is the, the first sermon of the year, and we're going to jump back into our series on Mark. The ESV commentary says this about the Gospel of Mark. Mark composed this unit on what the disciples learned from their master so that we could learn the same lessons the disciples learned. And in this passage today, the disciples are learning how to perform an exorcism. Nothing says Happy New Year like exorcisms, <laughs> right? Out with the old. So this is going to be, in a sense, Exorcism 101 uh, today. And Mark's gospel uh, is not shy about dealing plainly with spiritual issues. And by the end of this sermon, everyone here should know how and be equipped to perform an exorcism. <laughs> and the key is this. The passage, Jesus tells us, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. Can you pray? And you have the power. Do you know Jesus? Do you have belief in him? Prayer is a gift to God's church. It's not only a place of power, but it's a place where you enter in like a vault. You enter into the riches of God. There's a father. There's relationship there. There's forgiveness. There's provision for physical and natural needs. So this prayer is, is a, an amazing gift that we've been given as a church. And I want to turn our hearts to it as we begin this new year. We're going to be looking in the Gospel of Mark Chapter 9, verses 14 through 29, if you'd like to read with me. Let's come to the word. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, this is Jesus, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. For he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to bear with you? How long am I to be with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately convulsed the boy, and he fell to the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water just to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible. For one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Please join me in prayer. We come to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Jesus, the only one who can open that vault to the riches of your presence and forgiveness and provision. 
We duck and enter into that rich place. And we just acknowledge that you're here with us this morning. Would you please speak to us? Would you soften our hearts, open our eyes, equip us for life in this world? It's not a safe place. But you're strong, so we come to you. Speak through me, O Lord, clearly and powerfully by your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, I have four kids. You know what that means? It means I know how to clean. I clean carpets. I clean walls, crayon off walls. I, I wipe toilet seats all the time. If I don't, then other things happen. But I'm a cleaning machine, and having kids will do that to you. But I have discovered a secret uh, to keeping an ultra-clean house. Don't let the kids in. Hey, no, we love them and they're worth it, so we, we let them in. Um, um, this is going somewhere. It's the holiday season right now. My, uh, my parents came in town, so grandma and, and grandfather come in town, and when they come in town, they always take us out to eat. Where do you want to eat? We pick one of our favorite barbecue places, and we go there, and when we're in line, we, one of the kids get asked, what do you want? And do you want to look on the kids' menu? No, I don't want the kids' menu. No, I don't want the adult sandwich. I want the jumbo, the big, greasy meat sandwich. So grandma and grandpa are there. He's getting a jumbo sandwich. <laughs> so he gets in. Also because grandma and grandfather are there, he also gets soda pop, which we don't always do that. So he was sure to fill his cup up, you know, five or so, so times and bright ultra red soda pop. So we hug the grandparents and we say goodbye. We love you. And we go home and go to sleep, and then guess what? The middle of the night comes, and you know, we get a revisit by Jumbo Sandwich. <laughs> and we go into the room, and you hear this, this sound, and you're wondering, oh, you're starting to wonder, where's this going with this exorcism thing here? But uh, there, is, there is a big red stain on the ground. And you know, the, our usual methods that we employ to get rid of this, it's, it's just dish soap and, and some elbow grease. <laughs> prayer <laughs> and you know what dish soap and elbow grease didn't work on this that red dye and all that oily greasy fatty sandwich had some kind of crazy combination that just entrenched itself and we employed the regular methods so we scrubbed it dish soap even baking soap uh, baking soda the next level but guess what I just checked the stain it's still there and the point I'm getting at right here is this. It's that we, we often find that there are some problems we just cannot solve. We're confronted with that problem, and we employ the same strategy that we usually employ. But this one isn't working this time. It's a different kind. It's a different kind of problem. And I think that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. You've run into a different kind of problem. It's one that you can't solve. But there are problems we just can't solve, and we're more helpless than we'd like to think. Now, I believe that most people have, uh, many people have encountered a phenomena, and Jesus is in particular speaking about the dark, supernatural realm that influences life on earth here. And I think if we took a survey, we'd find out that more people have had encounters than we, than we may expect. I remember a counseling class 
in seminary. And, and by the way, the counseling class, we love medicine. We love doctors. We think these things are good. They're gifts from God to live and sustain in a broken and fallen world. But there was one short, short section when the professor, uh, who is a psychologist, he said, how many of you have had an encounter or seen an encounter with something demonic? And all my classmates, which are, which are you know, previously lawyers and engineers and good, rational, thinking people, many of their hands go up. Matter of fact, most in the room. And we looked around. We thought, wow, this is interesting. We don't talk about this very often. But the reality is there is a spiritual component. And I think our Western sensibilities don't like to acknowledge this. But why is it that most of the world seems to live in the tension that there is rationale and there is a supernatural element. C.S. Lewis speaks of this. He cautions against both imagining a demon behind every tree and believing that Satan doesn't exist. Perhaps the more nuanced and the more insightful way of thinking about these things is to realize there is natural and fallenness and there is a supernatural component to fallenness. That the enemy often preys on our natural fallenness. It's more complex, actually, than this or that. So my proposition today is for us to consider this, that since Jesus is all-powerful, we must seek him in prayer in our times of powerlessness. Since Jesus is all-powerful, he created the heavens and the earth, we must seek him in our time of powerlessness. Prayer recognizes that Jesus can. and He's the only one who can. Prayer is saying, when you go to the God and you say, God, you're, you're saying, I recognize that you're the only one who really can. There's certain things I can do and there's certain things I just can't. So there's a two, point, uh, two points to this sermon today. There's the diagnosis, recognizing what kind this is, and there's the remedy. How do we deal with it, therefore? The first point, the diagnosis. So Jesus and the disciple, if you remember Pastor Scott's sermon, he talked about the transfiguration. It's this moment, this mountain, literally the mountaintop moment when the disciples are up and they see who Jesus is unveiled. It's not veiled in flesh. He's, whoa, this dude is powerful. This, this God is mighty. I can't, Peter got fumbled up. He didn't know what to say. He just started blabbering at the mouth. Like, what should I do? Should we build and they're coming down, and some of you know what it feels like to come down from the mountaintop. Some of you uh, have, have been on vacations with your spouse, and you come back to a house with a, with a, with a frayed grandma and gra- grandpa and a sugar-filled kids. And it's like, oh, man, we're not on vacation anymore. And, and that's kind of the experience that Jesus and the disciples have. They come down the mountain, and there's this arguing going on, and Jesus starts asking, asking questions. What is it? What happened? And they say, well, you're, this man comes up to them and says, my son has a demon. I brought him to, to your disciples, and they couldn't help me. It was a failed exorcism. And the disciples are distraught. What's going on? Because in chapter 6, the disciples had been given authority, and they'd been out casting out demons. But for some reason, in this encounter, they can't get the job done. It's a failed attempt. They're using Mark 6 methods for a Mark 9 problem. They're using Dawn dish soap on a different type of stain. And Jesus says, this kind can only come out by prayer. So what were they doing before? 
Uh, our, our scriptures tell us this in Ephesians 6. It says that there is different level devils, if you will. It says that there are principalities and powers and rulers that are operating in the earth. And these disciples have encountered something different, a different kind than they had been confronting before, it appears. One person says this, uh, one pastor says, it's a great relief to have something to do. We want to do things, don't we? As a church, we want to go after the problem. It's a great relief to have something to do, and it's, but it's not always intelligent just to be doing something. There's a danger in rushing into activity before we fully realize the nature of the problem. So we must diagnose it. We must learn to diagnose ourselves. When am I wrestling with something natural and wrestling with something perhaps supernatural? The disciples also, uh, this may expose that they also were, were operating in an autonomous mode before. Like, I'm just going to go out. I figured out how to do this. I know how to cast demons out. And they, they kind of left behind dependence on Jesus. I've done this 15 times now. Or I've preached for, you know, Three whopping years now, now I know how to do this. I'm just going to go out and do it in my own power. And the disciples are, are humbled as they realize, oh my, we need to recognize that we are weak. At all this time, it was only he that was in us that enabled us to do this. I remember there was a time when I was serving in a youth ministry, and there was a young lady, she asked for prayer, and I love prayer. That's, that's what I like to get down on. In my dependence, I feel like I just need God. So I, I often go to prayer, and young lady asked for prayer, and we sat down on the ground, and as I began praying for her, something strange happened. Like, there was nothing you could visibly see, but suddenly like my hair on my head is standing up, and I get this frightened sense inside of me. And I was so scared, and there was a small girl, but I had this sense of fear that I, I got up on my knees because I, like, I feel like I'm in the presence of something bigger and more powerful than myself. And I felt the Lord just to start, start to say, just start calling things out, like rebuking things. And I didn't plan on doing that. I thought we were going to have an ordinary prayer time, but it was a different kind. And out of my weakness and fear, by God's grace, I went to, to prayer to him. So there's a different kind, and it's operating in our lives right now. So where, where is the stain right now that you're working on, that you're putting all your elbow grease into. But God's actually maybe showing you through your, your failed attempts that there's a need for dependence on him, to come to him as a child again in weakness, in, in humble reliance on him. So we need to begin to learn to diagnose ourselves. So once again... Doctors, science, these are all good. And, I, and, and Jesus is, is clearly showing us, you, you go, you do the natural things first. But when you discover that you've bumped against this kind, and turn to him. So where are you employing those natural treatments for a spiritual need? Where are your natural strengths and your natural weaknesses? This is where the enemy likes to come to, natural strengths and weaknesses. That's where he shows up. That's what he targets. Have you made unspoken vows? I've noticed that this is sometimes where uh, there are just demonic strongholds that can come in. When you've made a promise to yourself somewhere, you haven't even spoken out loud, but I will never trust someone again. I've been hurt. I've been betrayed. 
and you'll start to notice this pattern. I, I deal with people in the same way in this certain context. I've made a defense. And now this thing has went from a defense, to a strategy defense to a, a stronghold where you're being afflicted. And I don't believe that, that believers are, are ever possessed, but I think that we are fighting a spiritual battle. Look for the spiritual root of the problem you're dealing with. Why, why does my addiction flare up at this time? Or why is there such, such a, a tension of anger and animosity between me and this person? Why can't we just get over it? I've read the books. I've went to the counseling. I've took the medicine. Why can't we, why can't we get over this hump? Perhaps you're showing up to a gunfight with a knife. This kind. And this... This topic may seem a little, a little frightening to think about. Is, is, this, is this real? But I want to encourage you, Christ is greater. Christ is so much stronger. We have no fee to, fear, uh, need to fear. Matter of fact, do you know what scares demons? Jesus. One of my, one of my children who has struggled with fear at night, I said, let's, let's look in the Bible. Let's see what happens when real demons encounter Jesus. And it's the same thing every time. Do you know what happens? Just like in this verse, they fall down. It's the first thing they do. There's no resistance. They immediately fall down and they begin begging, please don't throw me out. Please, whatever he says, they do. So there's no need to, uh, to fear. Do you know what kind of scary stories demons tell around the campfire? <laughs> and then the head crusher entered the earth realm as a little baby. Ooh. <laughs> do you know what kind of movies they watch on Netflix around Halloween? Passion of the Christ. <sighs> That's our future. And it's funny, but it's true. There's no resistance uh, to Jesus. Now, we do have to prevail in prayer. We have to continually come to him, but you have to remember that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. But I'm not Christ, so this is intimidating. Christ, obviously, he, he, he has a perfect record, but I, but I don't, so what do we do? We need him. We need the remedy. So... Point two, the remedy. And the main point in this is dependence on Christ in prayer. In verses 17 through 23, you see the Father talking to Jesus. Do you know essentially he's, he's, he's praying? It doesn't sound very spiritual or pious. He's not using thee and thou and all this kind of flowery language that we like to do when we pray in front of the others. He's saying things like, if you can, he's saying things like, your disciples failed to do it. He's frustrated. And he brings it into his prayer life. It's an example for an authentic prayer, for authentic community with God. Is, it really, is prayer really strong enough, though? And I think we often think of like exorcism. It needs to be like a priest because, you know, there's the movies and all the things. Like it has to be a priest or a pastor. But do you know who has the power to do an exorcism, really? It's the person who lives in a prayerful relationship with God. It's the single mother who is overwhelmed, she's up to her ears, she's in over her head with changing diapers and trying to manage a house and finances, and she's so stressed that she has no other help, maybe not even her husband. She cries out to God, God, will you help me? I need you every minute of this day. How am I supposed to raise a sinful human being when I'm a sinful human being? It's a single mother. It's a person who struggles with mental illness, and realize I just can't get things done like everybody else is. It's a person who struggles with anxiety. I can't enter the room because I'm so anxious. That Let that anxiety be a reminder. Come to the Lord in prayer. You'll find that you actually have the re remedy. 
You actually have the remedy when you have anxiety, when you have fear, when you have sickness. If you're older and you're starting to get to the place where I can see, you know, 10 or 20 years, that, that may be my end. You have the remedy. I'm dependent on God and I need to walk with him. I need to stand closely by him. Someone's been unfaithful to you. If you've been wounded, if you've been wounded by a close friend, a spouse, a child, and that wound is there nagging every day, you have the remedy. You're constantly being reminded that I need something greater. Oh, Jesus, let me come to you. Let's talk about it. I'm frustrated. So we need to come to the Lord. The father in this story uh, comes to Jesus with partial faith. And guess what? Christ can work with that. Matter of fact, I don't think there's anything else besides partial faith. There's a scripture that says, Jesus, knowing us, he says, if you just have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Partial faith. We're plagued with partial faith, but partial faith is accepted in the kingdom of God. So Jesus responds to the Father with partial faith. What else can we bring when we come to the Lord? Confession. The Father confesses, I believe, but help my unbelief. I have unbelief in me. So we confess to the Lord. That's powerful. That's the remedy. Confessing that you're wrong. We often want to cover up and show, no, I can do it myself. But when we say, help me, the Lord brings strong support. Regular communication. What would happen in your, in your natural relationships if you didn't have regular communication? If you didn't talk to your spouse but once a week. If you didn't talk to him except for when you're in trouble or when you really want something. Christ is more gracious than our spouse, but, but think of the riches that happens when you talk to him regularly. He wants to listen to you. And this is a lot less about how to do an exorcism than how to receive the love of God, the approving look of a father. It's acceptance based on alien righteousness, a righteousness that you didn't do anything to earn. That's what we have in Christ. That's what we have in a prayerful relationship with him. Another thing I think that we can learn from this Father and Jesus' exchange is uh, whatever emotions you're experiencing outside of prayer, you may think, well, I'm not a praying type. <clears throat> but do you have emotions outside of your prayer life? Bring those in. Anger, frustration. Some people even need to just yell. God, I don't understand. I really am struggling to believe you right now. How could this happen? If you look through the Psalms, that's what's going on there. You can bring your authentic heart to God. Your questions, your doubts, your fear, your partial faith, your mustard seed of hope. Your life lights almost out, but that's right where the Lord works. He comes to us in our humiliation and in our weakness. John 1.4.4 says this, even speaking of the spiritual realm, he who is in us is greater than he who's in the world. So you come with your weakness and recognize that the one in you is much greater. There's no need to fear. 
I can remember um, recently a light went out in one of my son's rooms, and uh, for, for months, like for some reason, I haven't changed the light. I'll keep using the old methods. I keep hitting the switch whenever I go, and I go, oh, it doesn't work. I pick up my iPhone and just use that, and I've been doing that. And the other day, it occurred to me, there's a light bulb right in the closet right next to their room. Like it's literally like one step, and then get the light bulb out, and I thought, I'm going to do that today. So I went up, I reached up, I looked up, and I got that light, and then I twisted it in, and voila, we have light, and there it was the whole time. What a, what a, the remedy was right there, simply to look up. It wasn't anything complex. It wasn't out of my, my ability. The Lord just, I just went and grabbed it and did it, and that's what we have in a prayer life. The Lord's right here. He's listening to you. If you whisper a prayer to him right now, he hears it. You whisper a confession, he hears you. So prayer is a vault that we're uh, allowed into. And I, I want to just show you something I've learned recently from a, a book of, I've been reading about prayer. Well, does prayer really work? Like we wonder sometimes, does it really, is it really going to change things? Like I'd rather just do something. But it's worth the investment. Get up an hour earlier. Get up 15 minutes earlier if that's all you got right now. Pray throughout the day. One, one of the books I read, it talks about making note cards because sometimes it seems intimidating to pray. Like, how long do I pray? Like 30 minutes for something before it really matters? But the, the prayer book that I read, he, he said, I just write on a note card, you know, just a couple short things. Like, here, put my son's name in, in fear of the dark and maybe and put the word to work by putting a, a scripture there. And he prays for it literally for like 30 seconds. Maybe I could do that for, you know, once a day. Or maybe I can take that card out multiple times a day. And it's amazing when you do that, when you write it down, you see the Lord is really listening to your prayers. I've had some miraculous prayers answered in this last month. Literally, things that I, I can't say right now, but, but I asked some specific things, and the Lord did some very big specific things. I remember other times uh, praying, and, and the Lord called to mind uh, that he answered the prayer. There was a time when my daughter was just three years old, and I was like, God, would you give... Nora, a love for your word. And this little three-year-old girl came up to me like within a week or two later. Daddy, will you read the Bible to me? I'm like, oh my. Like, what am I, what am I allowing to go on? You know, I'm rebuking my kids. I'm trying to correct them. I'm teaching them. I'm, I'm doing everything I can, but certain things just aren't getting got. But then you kind of just go over and you, you remember, oh, there's a Lord who's listening to me. Will you help us right here? We're struggling. We're not getting over this. We're using uh, an old remedy to a new problem. Martin Luther knew, knew about the spiritual warfare, the reformer. He, he often talked about the spiritual warfare in one of his most famous songs. He says, did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord, Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. The good news is you're on the winning side, and even though you're broken and you're hurting and you're suffering, greater is he that is in you. Don't neglect prayer. Don't neglect a God who loves you, who longs to lavish you with forgiveness, who longs to give you faith where you lack faith. I just love that so much. I just don't even want to pray, God. That's my prayer. Will you give me a desire to pray? If you're real, will you help me to believe you? Because it's hard to believe you in 2001 if you haven't noticed. But when you ask him, just like when I asked him on that construction site, he, he put something in me of faith. And since then, I can't stop believing him. I can't stop. 
I can't stop running to him for a source of love. I can't stop feeling his affection. Ask him for it. He loves you. He's compassionate. Look at the way he responded. Will you have compassion on me, the father says. Will you have, if you, if you can, have compassion on us. She said, if you can, come on. Do you understand how much I love you? Do you understand how much power I have? Ask me. Only believe. With your broken faith, come to me. We can work this out. Don't fight your battles alone. I want to beat them up for you. So it's, it's exciting to think that there is coming a day, there's a judgment, and the enemy is going to be thrown into a fiery pit. And all of the chaos that he's wreaked, the havoc that he's wreaked, is going to come account, and God's going to call him out for everything he's done, the family members that he's taken, the diseases he's put on you, the afflictions on your children, and he's going to pay for it for eternity in a burning lake of fire. That's who he created it for. But Jesus still says, don't celebrate in this. But rejoice in this, that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I see you, I see your sin, I see your brokenness, and you're welcomed in. Let's have a relationship. Let's pray. Lord, we, we come to you. We want to respond to your word. Thank you, Jesus, for speaking so clearly and so passionately in this passage. You're speaking to us today, and you're telling us, just as you told your disciples, talk to me. I'm with you. I see that the world is difficult and dangerous, but I want to help you. Would you fill us today by your Holy Spirit with a sense of our dependence on you to remember that there's certain things we just can't do on our own, Would you also fill us with a desire to pray, to cut out time in our day, to pray to you throughout the day, to meditate on your scripture? Your word says that when we do this, we'll be like a tree planted by streams of water. But we can only do this if you help us. Help us, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.